0: Welcome to the Women of Steel podcast. My name is Nia Singleton and I'm a woman working in a man's world. The steel industry is overwhelmingly male. At Tata Steel, only 11% of our employees are women and most of us are concentrated within white-collar and office-based roles. With a plethora of fantastic manufacturing positions at our fingertips, why is it then that we don't occupy those positions? Is it due to family or caring commitments? Is it because we feel we don't belong? Is a traditionally male workplace really somewhere we should be encouraging women to work? Well, I'm here to tell you that we do belong and we should take those opportunities. While there may not be many of us yet, we have a number of trailblazing women carving career paths that many of us aspire to follow. Across this series, I will be talking to those women, the women who have challenged the status quo, pioneers in their field. So sit back and join us for a conversation on career choices, gender and what it means to be a successful woman in a man's world. Today's guest is Ruha Husseina. Ruha joined Tata Steel in 2007 as a support engineer on Botobo's iconic blast furnaces. Having gained her degree in mechanical engineering at Osmania University, Hyderabad, India, and then her Master's in Automotive Engineering at Bath University. Working her way up the management ranks at the Blast Furnaces, Ruha was an integral member of the Blast Furnace 4 Rebuild Project in 2012, having the honour of lighting the furnace for the first time. She then went on to be Project Lead for Blast Furnace 5 Extension in 2017, an astonishing achievement in only 10 years, a testament to her professionalism and work ethic now currently working on sustainability projects across Europe and the UK. Ruha has certainly been able to make her mark in a male-dominated world. But where did this passion for engineering begin? Ruha, thank you for chatting with me today. I wonder, can you take me back to your childhood? Did you always have that analytical engineering brain or did something or someone trigger your
1: interest? First of all, thanks for having me, Nia. To answer your question... No, I was rather clueless about the choice of career growing up. Mm-hmm. Although I do remember this aha moment I had. Yeah. Um, there's this popular, it still is, a popular Indian magazine, India Today, and it had published a photo of the board of Nestle India on its front cover. Yeah. And then there, amongst uh, an all male board, was this lady Sangeeta Talwar. Now I remember looking at that magazine cover and telling myself that's who I have to be. so it wasn't about the job or any or what she did, but it was about uh, a woman being there in this powerful position. Now, what made it more real for me was Sangeeta was a friend of Dad's, so I had been introduced to her, so she wasn't this mythical creature she was someone I could relate to. I think lots of women have sort of said that it's so important to have um,
0: these role models and mentors that they can look up to so I suppose you were quite privileged in that respect then that um, your parents uh, had friends that were powerful or in positions and and Sangeeta was um, certainly I I would say trailblazing um, herself at the time but I suppose going into engineering where did that spark in you
1: Well I've always good at mathematics mm. and uh, being brought up in India there's apparently only two career choices either become a doctor or an engineer <laughs> <laughs> and I must say it was my mum who nudged me towards it for having the bragging rights so <laughs> she, she wanted something to tell her friends about and it was not going to be medicine I just, I, I can't stand the sight of blood. So it was given the mathematics, so she nudged me towards engineering, let's say. And then when I was uh, asking for career advice in terms of which field I should choose uh, within engineering, even before I started, the first thing people used to tell me was do whatever but mechanical. Mechanical is not for girls. Yeah. And I was this stubborn child. And I was like, why should I listen to you? Let me go and find out for myself. Yeah. And that's how it happened. Yeah. And I couldn't find anything in mechanical engineering that a girl can't do. Yeah. So I suppose it
0: was um, your sort of gumption then. So somebody, you know, people saying to you, well, mechanical engineering is not for girls. Other the engineering, you know, uh, career paths are, but this one isn't. So then you thought, right. Well, that's the one I'm going to do. (laughs) Yeah, it was pretty much that. So then at university then, I suppose, because if that is the thought um, that, you know, mechanical engineering is not for girls, you must have found yourself surrounded by boys on your university course then, did you?
1: Yes. So what was strange was I'd gone to an all-girls school, so I never really studied alongside boys, and then you go straight into a class where... um, I think it was 10% girls. So Yeah. So although I did have all my childhood friends were males, it was always a balancing act, let's say, growing up. But studying with hardly any girls around was a new experience. Mm -hmm. Um, But also it was, I think most lectures were quite encouraging. So it wasn't, it was more, I suppose, with lab work. And with the best of intentions at times, they'd go, do you need help with that welding job or something? Or are you able to lift that? Do you need a hand? <laughs> it was those things. And I'd go, yes, of course I can. Yeah. So, so at lab work, I'd say the practical side of things, I was uh, better than some of the boys in class. Mm. So I preferred practical to at that time, uh, to theory, because there was this whole notion about uh, girls join mechanical engineering because they can't get into anything else, and there's the reservation, there was this women's quota. Mm. And it was uh, uh, it was the mindset that, oh, you couldn't get into anything else then. Like, mean, no, I wanted to come here."
0: Yeah. And I suppose that would make you more determined to succeed, then, isn't it? That sort of well, you're only just you're a tick box.
1: you you know, you're the complimentary girl on the course, yes, it was that. And it was also some um some people's attitudes were, yes, ok. so what? you'll go get a mechanical engineering degree. You're never going to practice mechanical engineering mm-hmm. at the most. you'll just use it as a stepping stone to get a an MBA which I did but yeah. after doing everything else uh, <laughs> go do, get an MBA you're never going to so it was that really annoyed me but yeah. I'd say it helped me as well it spurred me on going I can do whatever I want to do I should why should I listen to someone else.
0: Following your degree you then went on to do your master's in Bath in automotive engineering what was the gender makeup on that course then?
1: um that again less uh, number of women it wasn't widely better but I suppose it was less prejudiced in a way in terms of there's no I was never met made to feel oh you're a girl why are you on this course there's none of that whereas I did get that more back in India let's say so I
0: suppose then you coming then and joining Tata Steel in 2007 as like a graduate engineer at the blast furnaces by this time you're sort of used to being um one of the only women um you know in in a room or whatever because I would imagine and the possibly I'm imagining that they still are the blast furnaces are a very male dominated environment how did you find that as your sort of first
1: proper job then as it were joining um tatter steel if i just rewind slightly then maybe that'll put this more into my response would be more contextual if okay. i go back yeah, yeah, yeah. So when i'd finish my or towards the end of my first degree let's say and everyone had to go do a project or an internship and i'd I'd sent my CV, and from my name, it's not a common uh, name there, so they couldn't quite say what the gender was. Yeah. So I'd applied um, to this um, local automotive uh, plant Mm. uh, to do my internship, got selected, uh, turned up at the doorstep, and they went, We don't allow women on site and that was quite a shock because up until then my parents had always brought me up saying there's no difference between you and your brother you can do anything any other boy can yes in university there was uh, this thing in the labs but no one categorically stopped me from doing anything because I was a girl. and this was the first let's say um shock if you like and then um Um, so again like I've told you before if someone tells me you can't do this then I'm even more determined to do that and the first day in the blast furnaces was almost like huh I wasn't allowed inside um, a very let's say rather straightforward automotive facility not even on their plant just in their office and then here I am on a blast furnace so it was kind of it, it was a win in sorts of, yeah. sorry, of sorts yeah. um so yes but yeah first day I think then well they never made me feel that I was an outsider or anything like that or not say not one of them I was always treated like one of the lads yeah <laughs> so it was, yeah it was just was like what is this male female thing none of this exists
0: yeah
1: that's how <laughs> last yeah. venices were
0: And I suppose, in a way, um, once you'd proven yourself to be able to do that role, it really makes no difference what your gender is, is it? You know, you're just um, Ruha doing her job and doing it well. Um, Did you have any mentors then um, that sort of helped you at the start of your career?
1: Yes, so uh, both official and unofficial. So on the Blast Furnaces, we had... um, I remember this gentleman and always grateful to him, Bill Guttridge. Bill took me under his wing. Yeah. And Bill himself had a very strong work ethic. So if something um, on site uh, had to be looked at, didn't matter if it was 10 in the night or anything Bill was on it, he wouldn't leave till the thing was sorted. Yeah, And I'd say my work ethic, he's been instrumental in developing that i'd say and also uh I, then uh, i was doing my i chartership and then kevin james who's again in the furnaces, he was my um official mentor yeah so again i got a really good uh, um let's say group of people who i could work alongside look up to there's so many experienced people uh in the furnaces, so i got that a really good start.
0: Mm.
1: On the flip side though because I was on the graduate scheme and I was supposed to every six months go on a different part of the plant and uh, get experience I decided to stay in the (laughs) furnaces. So yeah you can see how much I loved it and working there and the environment. Well
0: Yes, because you were then involved, heavily involved and instrumental in the Blast Furnace 4 Rebuild project, which was a massive um, project for us as an organisation. And I remember, you know, working in comms at the time, and um, as I still do, um, but it was such an exciting project for us in communications. And, you know, we were so on the periphery of it, obviously, but documenting it all and putting things in the paper. So can you tell me a bit about how exciting that project
1: was to work on, to be actually a part of it? So it was such a privilege to be part of something because, as you know, how important it was for the future of well, I say for Talbot, future of steel industry yeah. in UK. Absolutely. So it was, it, it was uh, really, it was almost humbling being a part of it, mm. because all through my career. It has been drummed in right from day one. Going, um, blast furnaces are key to the economy, South Wales economy, or so because the start of the chain, and uh, you know how you'd lose uh, tens of thousands of pounds every hour. The furnace is stop. Yeah. So, so that respect for the furnace was always there, and I was always made to feel um, that. Several livelihoods depended on how well I did my job. Mm. So that that part was always there. And then by being part of Blast Furnace 4, I mean, what could be better than that? That was kind of at that point, that was probably the ultimate thing
0: because then you were also given the honour then of um, lighting the furnace and I remember it was it was more ceremonial than anything else wasn't it and it was a great sort of picture opportunity um, and I remember you know thinking at the time wow how amazing is this that we've got a female engineer you know um, ceremoniously lighting this furnace it was exciting for me as a woman I'm, uh, <laughs> I'm not an engineer but it it sort of made me feel yes that's me that look where we are because um you know in the archives we um and we put the photos next to each other uh there was a photo of from the 1950s of a of a lighting of a furnace and it was one of the senior manager's wives at the time that had 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 the honor of doing it then and I thought look how far we've come you know from a senior manager's wife in the 1950s to you know one of the senior engineers on the project now being a woman and lighting it it was just that sort of just such a wonderful um moment and for, for me as a woman but I don't know how it felt
1: for you so at the time it was I was quite numb I it did not register because now yeah. when I look back at it and I feel again very humbled yeah um, very pr- you know privileged in a way yeah uh but uh but I never saw it in the, at that time. It was just, wow, why me? What have I done? Yeah. Because everyone worked really hard. And mm-hmm. it was just, uh, I remember Tony Thomas, who's a project manager and a great, a, another great mentor I had along the way. Um, Tony saying, oh, Ruha, you'll be lighting the furnace. It's like, come on, don't joke. Why me? There's so many people who've got much more experience and have been you know worked on the project um so by me uh but in hindsight when I look at it again I never saw it from the male female lens yeah it was um so it, I think it just happened at the time and then now I feel quite I, I feel proud about it And mm. um, at that time I was probably even slightly embarrassed <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah because because it, it was a big sort of hoo-ha wasn't it you know the photo and all of that the big photo op of it and um like you say now I suppose you can look back because you have you're firmly cemented in our history books in any case aren't you you know um you're a definitive uh part in in blast blasphemous history in any case so that must that must
1: feel great yeah yes and then it Does and what it does is it wants me to do more because the only thing that because that project was you you saw it, others saw it, it was it tested me to the limits, it tested everyone else who was on the project to their limits.
0: Yeah,
1: and the only thing that kept me going on was if I stop, if this project doesn't happen, then what about all these livelihoods that will be lost? So it was just like I can't stop. Yeah. and that's what kept me going and even till this this date um when there is a difficult situation or a challenging situation let's say I'd go it's okay it's not as bad a time as before, so I can get through this because <laughs> that really because I mean you know um on the outside looking
0: in it just looked <laughs> listen to me now it just looked fun but it did really look like wow this was so massive we had all these big bits of kit coming in and it's like yay how amazing is this but yeah it must I'd never really considered how much pressure all of you um were under on that project because it was you know because we did it it was that and and said in a way, you know, how this was the linchpin for our industry. You know, you it was so important that you get this right, you deliver it um on time uh, you know as much as practically possible. And um it must have been, yeah, a lot of high pressure for you. Um not
1: a good work-life balance at the time, then I'm imagining. Gosh, no. But it was, like you said, it was fun because at the time it was the largest industrial construction project happening in the yes. U- using a large one. I think the second largest or the largest, I forget now, crane in the world. I think and it was the largest, wasn't large, it? Yeah, Yes, it was the largest uh, uh, crane in the world. And it was just great because I remember coming back home one evening and just turning on the telly and uh, they were decommissioning a rig, I think, in the North Sea. They were pretty much doing what we were doing on site. And I was like, ah, oh, that's fine. I know that. And switched it <laughs> out. <laughs> Or else I wouldn't be doing it in the first place, I don't think, because I I want to enjoy what I'm doing. So, yes, it was fun. But it did, you're right, there was no work life balance. What life? I don't remember those years of my life with just a blur. I suppose you're a bit of a
0: sucker for punishment because then you went on and you were managing the engineering on blast furnace number five project you were the principal designer so again and you took on another very big role <laughs> there um and uh, as a woman that's quite significant for our industry that it would be a woman leading um you know as a principal de- designer and engineer on this project um i'm imagining you would have been the first Uh, woman to be given that position in our industry did you feel the weight of that or were you just look I've got a job to do and I'm just doing it
1: yeah it's just carry on I mean given the experience I had because I'd worked on blast furnace four I'd done the concept for uh, blast furnace five and then I had I had worked as a manufacturing engineer uh, on the furnaces so I had all the right experience. I'd done other projects there. So I would be the obvious choice in Aresa for me. Yeah. It's like, yeah, okay, yeah, yeah, I just need to. And I knew how important number five was again for keeping the site uh, open. So yeah. I had to do it. The big dilemma for me at the time was though, I'd got accepted into Cambridge for doing an executive MBA and I was due to start that the same week as the fairness was supposed to come off. Lovely. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> so, oh, and I wow. didn't want to defer that. I wanted no. to carry on with that. So I think that was uh, quite a challenge because we had to, again, it was, uh, we had to be there one weekend a month. And then there's lots of assignments and reading we have to do outside of that. And there were lots of group assignments as well. So it was, uh, yeah, I don't know why I did it, but I'm glad I did but yes, yeah. combining the two, again, I don't see it, for, I did not, and I still did, uh, didn't, till you mentioned it, the whole male-female lens, for me, it was just, I've been given the job because I can do it, I'm the person who's, let's say, who's got the right skill set, that-
0: so I, I I can't begin to imagine how stressful a time that must have been because that was about you know two years of your life there. How did you manage that? Uh, have you got any like tips and tricks for for any people listening on how to sort of manage stress levels? Because I can imagine that was a stressful time.
1: Uh, it was, and I did have my ups and downs, and it was important to have a good support network, mm-hmm. and I got that both at work. Uh, so, uh, Neil, who is uh, the project manager on Blast Fairness and Neil I've worked for, I think, uh, uh, and uh, the longest of any other managers. Yeah. And he was quite supportive. Oliver, Martin Duggan, who's the project sponsor. So, there was... Uh, I had good support. Oliver, who's the... Oliver Mullen, who who's the one who'd encouraged me in the first place to go get an executive MBA. So the people around me were quite supportive here yeah. uh, same with again outside as well in uh, uh, at uh, so p- uh, people uh, my classmates in cambridge were quite supportive so it was i think having a support network uh, was really important i couldn't have got through it without that mm. but other than that i think it just need to be regimental in life and have a routine then it's fine because I keep going back to in my life whenever I'm faced with a challenge and like I've done number four (laughs) this is easy easy in comparison to number four (laughs) so I think I had a routine and following the routine helped and uh, the most important I'd say part for me was not seeing it as the whole MBA or the whole project on a day-to-day basis but Mm -hmm. just divide it into chunks yeah and so I'm going to so it's not one big project it's a series of smaller tasks the MBA was a series of uh, modules or a series of assignments and just tackle one thing at a time I think actually that's a really um, good piece of advice
0: because often we can be intimidated by the tasks, can't we? And I think breaking it down, like you said, in, into chunks um manageable bite sized chunks. It sort of certainly helps um, to sort of overcome some of that stress that you can feel going, oh, my gosh, look at the long game. Look at this. It's, it's too much for me to take on. As then manager and and principal designer uh, for the Blast Furnace 5 project, was it important to you then to have a diverse team around you? Um, Because I know you sort of, you name checked lots of people and they all seem to be men. Um, Did you have any women working alongside you um,
1: under you on that project? So it was... Again, it wasn't intentional. I don't go out and go, maybe I should, going, oh, we want to build a very diverse team and maybe we should do more of that. But uh, anyone who's capable for the job, whether male or female, mm-hmm. it doesn't matter. But I was quite proud to have women on all levels of the organization and BF5, because we had the, a girl on the rescue team. We had an apprentice welder as a girl, um, a planning engineer. We had the document controller. I was uh, doing the engineering. And then, again, um, the contractors, they had a a female engineer. So it was, again, we had more women than I've seen on any other projects I've done. So it was an achievement. But, again, if I look at the percentage, it was a small percentage And I'd want that to be um, uh, improved because, like we all know, and there's a lot of research out there on how diverse teams perform better. Absolutely, they do. Yes. Yes, because it's just groupthink, isn't it? If I'm going to hire, okay, me saying that is probably the wrong thing. But if someone who is uh, who goes and hires like uh, like minded people and who, they think they can work alongside very well with then there's this danger of groupthink yes yeah so it is it it is
0: definitely important to have diverse um teams because like you said it leads to diversity of thought and challenge um you know a lot more challenging within the sort of you know um the group thinking isn't it so then uh roha you are now currently working on sustainability projects for tata steel europe um was that a sort of natural segue did you think of for your career working on these large um, engineering projects to now working on sustainability?
1: Uh, so, like I've said, the driver for me all through my career has been to make a, a large positive impact. Um, so, sustainability is quite uh, important. If we look at the United Nations sustainability goals that came out as a business, we do need to contribute towards those. Yeah. Uh, so it's an important uh, aspect, I would say. So for me, it was, yes, we've done all these projects and the blast one is four, then five about the, it was all about the British steel industry, but mm-hmm. now it's about making a bigger impact with the sustainability because climate change is happening. We can't deny that. Mm-hmm. So it's, Uh, it is a big deal and being uh, in the steel industry as uh, we can make a a big difference we can set an example for the rest of Europe so for me it was important that it's not just about livelihoods that's what it has been so far it's also about the environment and I am quite interested in policy and um, I used my time at Cambridge to um, to increase let's say enhance my skills in that area uh, so when Anne-Marie uh, Manger who I've known for uh, from her role when she was the engineering director and worked quite closely she suggested this and I thought it was a brilliant opportunity so again it's great working for a female leader Yeah, experience for me, but uh, yes, and she's been very supportive and she's coached me um, and mentored me uh, to make the right decisions, let's say. So, yes.
0: Because it is a big challenge that, you know, the industry has um, around sustainability and carbon neutrality. And, you know, we we have set us as ambitious targets, haven't we? And I suppose it would be quite exciting to be a part of the team that is leading the way on
1: that. Yes, definitely, because it's not just uh, UK or the British steel industry Mm. or Europe that needs it, but it's the world that needs it. And given there are so many different steel plants around the world, if we can do the right thing and set an example, it would mean a big change for Europe, for the world. But this role is taking you, you've
0: had to do a, quite a bit of travelling, haven't you, between our sites, um, now working on, the, on sustainability. How have you found that?
1: Um, so I was based in uh, Netherlands for that. So it was like having being in Wales, England, and Netherlands at the same time because I was doing yeah. MBA in Cambridge as well. So yes, it was a lot of uh, traveling. Yeah. Again, it was a great team that supported me, so both in uh, Netherlands and uh, here in UK. So it was uh, I was working on Bar- Bart's team, and Bart was again learned a lot from Bart, and Anne-Marie was. Uh, always very supportive. So it uh, um, and encouraged me to, let's say, explore things which I wouldn't have normally done. So it was, uh, again, important to have uh, the right set of people around me. And it was, again, Arzu is another uh, girl in the team. There. So it was, again, going from a mostly male team yeah going from a uh, mostly female team which was again a very different experience yeah. and it was really great so yeah
0: because Not I can sure. imagine that that would be um strange for you now uh, um um because it, from our discussion you know throughout university even though you went through an August school but then from university you do seem to have been you know um one of only a few women you know at university on your courses and then coming through um to your you know the jobs that you've taken on so it must be quite refreshing now actually to be in a team that is led by a woman um with other women
1: around you um a different way of working maybe yes it, it is quite and you keep saying women work harder than men <laughs> which is probably a which is probably not always but yes we, which is quite true we probably slog a lot more but yeah it was quite refreshing and it was uh, uh bart was generally bart and antoine uh, were generally outnumbered let's say but it was again <laughs> yeah, but they were very supportive and encouraging so it was uh it, it was a great team it is I, I i suppose this is a sort of million dollar
0: question but is um where do you see your career going then? Um, do you want to continue working on this decarbonisation because it is still a net we've yet to crack in a way, isn't it? And like you said, there's lots of multi-agency work. Um, you know, working with uh, within the industry and outside of the industry. Um, is there enough excitement in that f-
1: to keep you going for the next few years? Yes, I think so. Yeah, we, we have uh, as a business. Uh, we we've said we'd reduce our emissions by thirty percent by twenty thirty. Mm -hmm. carbon neutral by 2050 so we've just got a decade to make that 30% happen and it's not not an easy uh, task so yes I'm very much focused on that to deliver it so yes again it's about being a front runner and creating an example for the rest of Europe and the world to follow fantastic final
0: question now if you were to speak to uh, your 18 year old self um what words of advice would you give them?
1: Um, That's an interesting one. Um, I would say uh, to my 18 year old self, I would say, do what you want to do. You should enjoy what you're doing. Don't get bogged down by selecting the right career path or where you want to end up because even now at 35, I don't think I know exactly where my career is going to end up. So I didn't need to know that at 18 because I remember as an 18-year-old, I was trying to plot a proper career path, going, if I get this degree, that degree, etc. And it, it doesn't. So there's no need to worry about it just yet. You can pivot at any time. And I think that's
0: really good advice to close on, actually. You know, don't worry about you can pivot at any time and um You've certainly had a pivoting career where you've moved from one thing to the other. And I've no doubt now that um with you working on this decarbonisation project, like you said, you know, nothing can be as bad as furnace <laughs> rebuild project yes. <laughs> number four. You know, you've done that um, and you've done your maths and your MBA so you can, you can take this on. So um I look forward to catching up with you in a, in a few years time to see how far We are on our journey, our decarbonisation journey, but thank you so much for talking to me today. It has been an absolute pleasure. Thank you. Thank you. So growing up, Ruha felt that she had maybe one or two career choices, to be a doctor or to be an engineer. Because of her aptitude for maths, she decides engineering, but then is told, don't do mechanical engineering. That's not for girls. That's just for boys. But I think it's testament to Ruha's tenacity of spirit that she then goes on and thinks, no, do you know what? It's mechanical for me. And off she goes to university. And even though she is surrounded by men and maybe a couple of other women, she finds her way and she sees that this is the career path for her after some Experiences as a young woman in India trying to get onto and I'm told she's not able to get onto a facility because she is a woman. It seems that she found her experience then at Tata Steel so different. Everybody was so welcoming to her at the blast furnace. And you can hear the passion in her voice when she talks about the furnaces and the people there. And her gender doesn't seem to have been a barrier for her there at all. She's just Ruha, she's doing her job. And she does it so well. I love the passion that she demonstrates for the furnaces and how she so keenly understood how vitally important they were and the role that she played in the Blast Furnace Rebuild Project and, again, the Blast Furnace Reline. And like I said to her, she is a key marker. She's cemented in our history, certainly a tatter steel for being a woman, and female engineer, lighting that furnace. That picture of her will be doing the rounds <laughs> for eternity it feels and working in comms I was so excited about that project there was such a buzz about it and I suppose my naivety I'd never really considered how stressful it must have been for those guys working there at that time and it demonstrates how stressful it is that she now says against any challenge that comes up to her nothing can be as bad as number four and I think that demonstrates where she's gone the journey she's gone on and now working on sustainability projects Ruha really is an inspiration she is just demonstrating that with your tenacity of spirit you just get out there you can do attitude your gender does not have to be a barrier hard work is genderless and putting in the hours and also being a good team player doesn't matter if you're a boy or a girl does it